Welcome to the City Women Podcast. Today, we are featuring a recent sermon from one of the pastors on the teaching team at City Church that expounds on some of the concepts discussed in our Genesis study. Let's jump right in. What's going on, City Church? How y'all doing? Awesome. Y'all glad to be in church today? Good, good. Well, so good to see you guys. My name's Sam McCullough. I'm one of the team pastors here, and always an honor to, to share, and excited to close out this series. Hasn't this been a cool series? It's been fun. You better not say no. That'd be really, really awkward. Hey, I just, I was thinking during worship, um, man, if you're, if you're new here and maybe you're new to church, uh, maybe you're just like, church freaks me out. The idea of showing up to church. Maybe you were burnt on church at some point in your life. I, I just want to say on behalf of the team, like, welcome here. And thanks for coming and checking out City Church. You might feel like I'm staring at you. I don't know who you are. I'm just saying it. Maybe you're here, and it's just like, man, this freaks me out. We're just glad you're here. And I don't, I don't know man, what you're going through in life, wherever you're at. Maybe you're, you're, you've been churched your whole life, and you love God, and you just want to grow. Maybe you're so new to this thing, and you're like, I'm intimidated by the Bible. I don't know where to start. Can I just say there's a place for you in this house, wherever you're at in your journey of following Jesus. And man, God, we're excited you're here, but God is excited you're here. And so I mean that with everything in me. Uh, I'm just thankful for this house, thankful for this place, glad you're here. Uh, we're going to jump right into this story today. It's out of Genesis chapter. Uh, chapter 25, and it's a story that covers two brothers, and it's kind of two brothers that had beef since the day they were born, okay? So just two brothers, and I'm actually not going to dive. Here's the thing about this story. It's funny. I was talking to Jamie about this actually like three weeks ago. I started working on this message, maybe four weeks ago. I don't remember. Um, This story is deep, like, there's a lot of depth to the story, and there are layers and layers and layers. If maybe you're into the Bible, you've been studying it for a while, you're like, oh, man, this is a deep story. It is. But there's also some things right off the top that you can take from this story that are just like, dang, like they just get you. And my goal in my heart today, uh, I actually, I started, have you ever seen, probably seen the movie Alice in Wonderland? You know that part where Alice falls in the rabbit hole and she just keeps on falling? Anybody, anybody familiar with that? So there's that... That's how I started getting with this story, and I just took a step back. I was like, Lord, help me put some handles on this story for some people today. And that's our heart, is that that's what we're going to do. So I'm going to read it to you right now. It's out of Genesis 25, and it's, it's, it's 27 through 34. Uh, it should pop up on the screen. If you have your Bible app, pull it out. It's, it's New Living Translations where I'm reading. It says this. So these are two brothers. We have Jacob and Esau, and this is right after they were born. And Esau is the older brother. Jacob is the younger brother. Esau would have received the birthright uh, in Hebrew times as the older brother. It's a really big deal. So let's just jump in right here. It says, as the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but Jacob had a quiet temperament, preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau. This was Esau's and Isaac's, Esau and Jacob's dad. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home. Anybody want some venison right now? Enjoyed what, what Esau brought home. But Rebekah, which was his mom, loved Jacob. One day, Jacob was cooking some stew. Esau arrived home from the wilderness, exhausted and hungry. Everybody say hangry. Y'all awake this morning? So he is hangry. We're going to talk about food a lot. Some of you might get hangry by the end of this message. So he came home exhausted. He's hungry. Verse 30, it says, Esau said to Jacob, I am starved. Give me some of that red stew. I don't, I've never referred to something as red stew, but I love that. I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red. 
Verse 31, all right, Jacob replied, but trade me your birthrights as the firstborn son. Talk about a schemer, okay? He is hungry. He's just like, yo, give me some food. I just got done hunting. I'm starving. And Jacob just goes straight for the kill. He's like, all right, I'll give you some stew. Give me your birthright. I don't know. I think that's kind of messed up. Maybe that's normal for you in your household. Verse 32, he says, look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? But Jacob said, first, you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all of his rights as the firstborn to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He gave him a little extra. He said, all right, I'm not just going to give you some stew. I'll give you some bread too. Esau ate the meal. Then he got up and left. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. You know, the message is don't sell yourself short. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the opportunity to share in this house. And I pray that you would speak in spite of me today through your word. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. So the question I want to ask is how often do we, we sell ourselves short when we get desperate? How often do we sell ourselves short when we get desperate? I want to take you on a little bit of a journey. This is back to when Sam was around third grade, okay? We're going back in time. Now, this was during the time when Mongoose Bikes, the BMX bike, was the coolest bike you could possibly own, a Mongoose, okay? It had the reverse, you know, that could pedal backwards, that sound. You know when you're, like, growing up and that sound, when you get a bike that's... It, it will go, y'all know what I'm talking about. And it had hand brakes. It didn't have the reverse brake. had pegs on it. Like, I was going to be, I, I wanted a mongoose so bad. I was going to visit my mom who lived in Arizona. And she told me, Sam, when you come out this summer, you're going to get a mongoose bike. Third grade Sam is like, this is going to be the best summer of my entire life and probably for the rest in history, like the greatest thing ever. So I fly out to Arizona. I can't wait to get my hands on this mongoose bike. And we get there, and right when I land, I said, Mom, we've got to go to the store right now. It's nighttime. I did not care. First of all, I was a spoiled little rat when I was in third grade, okay? I did not care about anything but me, and I was like, Mom, I don't want your food. I don't want any, I want this bike. I gotta get it now. She's like, all right, let's go to the store. Let's get this bike. So we show up to this store. It's nighttime and the store is closed. And I am just heartbroken. You know, third graders, you don't really have much foresight for your life. Like, I'm like, this is it. This is the end of the world. I've been looking forward to this bike for forever. The store is closed. And I'm like, Mom, i got to get this bike. She's like, it's fine. We can go get it in the morning. Like, no big deal. I was like, no, Mom, I've got to get a bike, like, right now. I have to have this. I mean, y'all, if you have kids, you know this desperation is like, I need this now. The whole world is, I saw a hand raise. You feel me, bro? I know. I was like, i got to get it. And she's like, Sam, we'll just get it in the morning. No big deal. It's nighttime anyways. You're not going to be riding your bike tonight. Like, it's fine. I said, Mom, can we please? Like, I'm like crying. Can we please go get this bike, like, right now? She's like, I mean, I guess. Like, we can go to Walmart and get a bike. How many of y'all know, I mean, I hate to say this, I've, I bought my kid's bike at Walmart, but like, Walmart is where cool bikes go to, go to die. You know what I mean? Like, let's just be honest here. They were not, at the time, selling mongooses at Walmart. So we show up to Walmart, and all they had were Huffies. Now, Huffies were cool in 1925. They were not cool in 1995. So I get to Walmart, and sure enough, all they have is this little blue Huffy. 
The little blue Huffy did not have handbrakes. The little blue Huffy had brakes that stop when you go backwards, AKA that's how you die when you're going over a dirt jump, okay? This is all they had. But I was so desperate that I was like, I will take that Huffy now so I can have a bike. And my mom was like, are you serious? And I was like, I have to have a bike now. So we get this bike, we get home to my mom's house. I don't even ride that bike until after the other store would have been opened the next day. I hated that bike for the rest of my elementary career. It was the worst bike decision I had ever made in my life. The question is, sure, that's dumb, but how often do you and I sell ourselves short in life whenever we get desperate? There are things that you and I do that we would have never dreamed we would do, but it's out of a desperate act that we sell ourselves short. I want to unpack some really strong life lessons from this short moment in scripture of Esau's life. And my prayer is that this will be impactful, it will be convicting, it will be challenging for us as a church. Write these down. This is the first one. The first thought, tough lessons from Esau's life, is desperation can lead to a downfall. Desperation can lead to a downfall. Again, you see that Jacob is just, or Esau is out hunting, having a great time, gets home, he's starving. I have to wonder, how starving was he really? I mean, the dude was out hunting. Unless he wasn't as great of a hunter as they thought he was, he's like starving. I'm going to die. Like, he's so desperate for something to eat. And he ultimately gives up his birthright over this stew. So he's starving, he's hungry. You know, the, real, the, the reality is there's not much you won't do when you're starving. You know what I mean? Like when you're hungry, when you're desperate, there's not much you won't do. His brother, sure, Jacob totally schemed him. And a lot of times this is where we highlight the story is how bad his brother Jacob was. And that's a whole other message for another time. But here's what I want you to realize. In your life, there's always going to be temptation to do something you shouldn't do. There's always going to be temptation in your life on the prowl whenever you're desperate. The truth is, is that you and I are one dumb decision away from total downfall in our lives. That's a reality that we need to catch today. Man, whenever you do things out of desperation, ultimately in your life, it can lead to a significant downfall. So there's a question that naturally arises whenever I look at this first thought. And it's a question that you and I have to wrestle with today, and I want to challenge you to wrestle with it right now. What is it that you're desperate for? When you look at your life, again, we can all make fun of Esau and say, man, I cannot believe he gave up his birthrights over a bowl of soup. But what are we giving up in our lives because we're desperate? What are you desperate for today? Are you looking for connection in your life in all of the wrong places? So are you so desperate to connect with somebody in your life? Are you so desperate for a relationship that you're looking for it in all of the wrong places? Are you so desperate to quiet some pain in your life that you're turning to pills or some other substance in order to fill that desperation in your life? Are you so desperate for approval in your life that you put your job before everything else in your world and your world's falling apart, but you know what? I'm succeeding in my job and, and you're desperate for this approval that it's ultimately leading to some sort of downfall in your life. What is it that you're desperate for 
today in your life. When I look at Esau's story, I see this obvious connection to desperation. The dude just wanted a bowl of soup, and he gave up everything, everything for this one bowl of soup. You know, the reality is, is there's only one that can fill that desperation in your life. And maybe today, as you've come here, you are searching, and it's obvious in your life that you are searching for something. But also, maybe for you, as I mentioned earlier, you're not new to this Jesus thing, but you're realizing there's some area of this desperation in your life that you're not, being, you're not allowing to be filled by God. Psalm 50, 15 says this, Then call on me when you're in trouble, and I will rescue you, and you will give me glory. Man, what are you desperate for today? What is it you're desperate for? Esau had this desperation, and he ultimately let it lead him to a downfall in his life. What are you filling that desperation in your life with today? Are you getting this this morning? What are we going to? Man, I want to challenge you. Let God be the only thing that can fill that need in your life. There is nothing that will ever satisfy you than a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the only thing that can bring true satisfaction in your life. Another tough lesson that can be pulled from this little moment in Esau's story is undervaluing God's blessings will lead to an unfulfilled life. Undervaluing God's blessings will lead to an unfulfilled life. You see this response whenever Jacob tells his brother, he's like, hey, give, you know, give me that birthright and I'll give you some stew, bro. What a punk. Like, can we just stop and be like, have you, have, have you ever had a sibling do something that you're like, that's not cool? That is not cool. I've seen, I've seen my, little, my, my daughter Charlie, sweetest girl, y'all. Some of you know her well. And you're like, she is so sweet. I'm like, man, you ought to see her with her little brother. We'll overhear conversations and we were like, you are, you are a shyster. Like, you just, I cannot believe you did that to your little four-year-old brother. He's so innocent, like a, little, like a little doe walking into a trap. And she's like, that little smile on her face, you know. What a moment here. But his response is, look, I'm dying of starvation. What good is this birthright to me now? Like, I need some food, bro. This birthright is nothing to me. It's nothing to me. The reality, though, is when we undervalue what God has given us, we're going to live an unfulfilled life. Some of us are unvaluing, undervaluing the things that God has given us. Some of us are undervaluing the gifts that have been given to us. You know, the birthright was a big deal, a super big deal. The birthright ultimately meant property. It meant wealth. It meant leadership. It meant an incredible future. Like, this was a big deal. He was the firstborn. This thing was huge. The birthright was like everything for an older brother. Now it's nothing. Like, you know, I don't walk up to my older child and be like, sorry, you're not the firstborn. Tough luck. Like, but this is how it was. But Esau's actions just reveal this consequent of, of, consequence of underestimating the value of what's been given to him in his life. He recklessly, I mean, think about it, recklessly, gave away this birthright in this short moment. But I have to ask, how often do you and I do the same things? How often do you and I undervalue the gifts, the blessings that God has put in our own lives? I have to ask, where, where, where are we undervaluing right now what God has given us? Like in your life right now, I want you to think about things that God has given you and where are we maybe even unintentionally, undervaluing God's gifts in our lives. 
You know, it's obvious that the birthright wasn't a big deal to Esau. His response is, what good is my birthright to me now? You know, I often see people, unfortunately, as a pastor and as a leader, we, we hear the collateral of these moments in people's lives where people walk away from their family. People walk away from giftings and talents that God has given them. People walk away from amazing opportunities that God has put right there in their lap. And it's because there's an undervaluing of what God has brought into their life. Esau's story echoes even into the New Testament. So this story's right at the beginning of the Bible. You can see it's right at the beginning. But it echoes all the way into Hebrews 12, 16, where it says, Make sure that no one is immoral or godless like Esau. What a thing to be said about you hundreds of years later. Make sure no one is immoral or godless like Esau who traded his birthright as the firstborn for a single meal. Church, you've got to remember in your life right now, and some of you need to hear this today, you were fearfully and wonderfully made. Like God made you on purpose and for a purpose. There is nothing accidental about your life, but the truth is is so many of us spend our life not valuing what God has done inside of us, not valuing the gifts that God has put inside of us. Man, I was a youth pastor for, for almost 10 years. I have students right now that are in prison for things that are, I couldn't believe it. It blew my mind. And I have to step back and go, man, there's moments where students literally just undervalued the things that God has done in their life. A potential just completely thrown away. Why? Because we don't, we don't value what God has put right in front of us. You have to remember the value that's simply in your own life. Take a moment to pause and think about blessings that are in your life right now. I gotta ask, where, where are you seeing blessing, blessings in your life as burdens? Think about it, like where are you seeing blessings? Maybe, maybe for you even it's a job that like God gifted you an amazing job and, and you wanted that job for a long time and it was a blessing from God but now all you do is complain about it and you see it as a burden. You gotta step back. When you undervalue the things God has given you, you'll live an unfulfilled life. When I'm around people that are complaining about their job, I'm like, yo, just be thankful you have a job. Like, just be glad that you have a job and you can provide for your family. That alone, can I get an amen from somebody? Like, that alone is like, just celebrate what God has done in your life. Man, and I, I joke about my kids, but when I hear people complain about their kids all the time, I'm like, kids are a gift from God. What an honor it is to be able to have children that you can raise to follow Jesus. But how often do we see the things that we've prayed for as problems? And we're wondering why we're living in misery all the time. It's because we're undervaluing what God has given us. We're undervaluing and your life is completely unfulfilled and you're no fun to be around. Somebody needed to hear that today. Man, you're wondering, why is life so brutal? Esau. The dude was the firstborn. He had the keys to everything. An incredible future that would have been just given to him. What does he do? Over a bowl of beans. They're not even that good. You know they didn't have good seasoning back then. It was a bowl of beans. He gave up a birthright for some beans, y'all. But I gotta ask in your life right now, where are you giving up your birthright for a bowl of beans? For a bowl of stew? Stew's not even that. It wasn't a hamburger. It wasn't a tomahawk, ribeye steak, cooked medium rare. Come on, somebody. No. It's a bowl of beans. I 
got to ask, man, where are you handing over that future? Because you're just under, undervaluing it. You're not seeing it for what it really is. And we've got to hear that today. It's important for us. We sell ourselves short by not valuing what Jesus did for us. If you're a Christian in the house, and this is for the believer, hear this really quick. Ephesians 2, 9 through 10 says this, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. What, 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 and I want you to know why I kept that verse in there, because the next verse is what I really want to get to, but it says, salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. And the reason I bring that, that, that verse in particular right here out of Ephesians 2 is because what the word of God is expressing is that this salvation is a gift, and if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been given the gift of salvation. And it has nothing to do with your talent, your skills, your abilities. Everything to do with the goodness of God. But so many of us, especially in Western culture, because we get to walk into a church that has air conditioning all the time, because we get free coffee, parking attendance. Are you kidding me? Churches in Africa would be like, what is this? This is amazing. It's like Disney World here. But I think sometimes because we have life so easy, even as a believer, we don't value the gift of salvation. We need to hear that. We, we just kind of take it as, oh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just kind of Christian, and that's what I do. And I think we live a lot of our lives undervaluing just the gift of the goodness of God in our life. Now, for some of you that have been broken, you've been addicted, and you've had a God encounter, and it's changed everything, there's this value where you're like, man, I know who I was. I know, and I'm not putting anybody down, but we got to hear this today. Is this all right? Pa thanks, Pastor Jamie. It's my dude, man, <laughs> always in my corner. But, but I think we undervalue the, the goodness of God in our life. And then the, the next verse says this. It says, for we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we could do the good things he planned for us long ago. And we, we don't value this gift of salvation that's been given us. And because we don't value that, we don't value what's inside of us when Jesus, when God Almighty calls you a masterpiece. And a masterpiece is an artist's greatest work. That he would step back and be so impressed by his own work and say it's a masterpiece. But we don't value what's inside of us. Some of you don't value your own life, and my heart breaks for you because you were created on purpose and for a purpose. And you might walk in here and think, my life isn't important. Nobody cares. Everybody's walked out on me. Friend, you've got to value your life because God designed you and he built you. And not only is there value on your life, but there's purpose on the other side of your yes to God. But if we're undervaluing what God has done in our life, our lives will be unfulfilled. Are you unfulfilled today? I don't think you would amen that out loud right now. But are you unfulfilled in your marriage and your relationship and you're thinking, oh, I might just give this all away. Stop undervaluing the blessings that God has brought in your life. Get your head on straight and follow God again. Man, Esau undervalued what God gave him and he lived an unfulfilled life. This story isn't a happy story. You're like, yeah, I know. I want to close with this last thought. I'm actually so excited. This is the first time I've done a three-point message in like five years. And that means I'm not going to run out of time. Thank you, Jesus. The last thought as we pull this, these tough lessons from Esau's life is that immediate satisfaction often brings long-term disappointment. Immediate satisfaction often brings a long-term disappointment. So again, in 
Genesis 25, it says, but Jacob says, first swear to me that that birthright is mine. So again, he's hungry. And then he's kind of antagonizing him. He's like, okay, okay, yeah, the birthright's yours. Give me the soup. And he's like, well, blah, blah, but hold up. Swear to me that, that's, that, that that birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all of his rights as the firstborn brother to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew. Esau ate the meal. Oh, this is brutal. If you just stop and think about it, Esau ate the meal. It was done. He got up and left, and he showed contempt. A careless decision. He showed contempt for his rights as the firstborn. Imagine that moment. Like, for real. A bowl of soup and some bread. And that was it. It was over. And again, so many times we look at these stories in Scripture and we think, how could he? And the reality is, is that we do it all the time. We do it all the time. We say yes to something that immediately satisfies a need in our life. And that quick yes turns into a long, regretful list of no's because of that short-term gain and we weren't thinking of the long-term impact in our lives. It's a careless, it's a, it's a reminder of a careless decision, and it's a brutal reminder of impulsivity in our lives. It's a brutal reminder. Esau's choice to trade his birthright ultimately led to a brutal future, not just for him, but his own family. And so many of us are saying yes to something right in this moment. And we're not, we're not just thinking about, or we're only thinking about ourselves. We're not thinking about the future. You're not thinking about what could happen, what the ramifications are after you say yes to that short-term thing. A birthright for some bean soup. And just as he didn't pause and think about the consequences, you and I make decisions all the time without fully weighing what the future might hold. You know, the reality is, is that you and I need deliberate discernment in our life. We need to be crystal clear about the things that we value in our lives. A month ago, our family went on vacation, and I was so excited about vacation, but the month or two prior to that vacation, my kids would always ask for like, can we get a Snickers, can we get a toy, can we get this? And it was really easy for me to say no leading up to that vacation. Why? Because I wanted to rent a boat on Lake Day on our vacation. And I knew if I constantly said yes to the Snickers bars, we weren't going to get a boat on that day on our vacation. It's really easy to say no to things when you have your values set for you as a follower of Jesus. And I've got to wonder in our lives, do we have our values, your core values in your life laid out, spelled out for you, even as a family unit where you say, hey, these are things that, for example, for us, these are things that McCullough's do. These are things that McCullough's do not do. And it's very clear for us that we have values that are laid out for us as a family. Why? Because whenever a short gain opportunity arises that might have long-term effects, it's easy to stop and say, nah, we don't do that. That's just not what we do. Why? Because we have values that are laid out for us as a family. Our values as a family are based and rooted in Scripture. It's really simple. It's really simple. So whenever I find myself in a situation as a husband 
when an opportunity could arise to do something really stupid. I stop and I have to go, no, because I have values that I stand on. It's an easy no, because I've already marked out what my yeses will be and my noes will be too. It's easy. Whenever a financial decision comes up, we have values of things that we put first as a family. We're like, this is what we're gonna do first. And it's based in scripture because you already know things are popping up all the time. Amazon's listening to me as I speak right now. You said something about stew. You did need a new pot today? <laughs> Sucker. <laughs> Heard you were talking about stew a lot. It's easy, no. It's easy. You hearing me today? Man, if Esau would have, he showed contempt. The Bible says he showed contempt for his rights. Didn't even care for his, his birthright. He didn't even care about it. He undervalued it. And then short-term satisfaction that led to long-term life of pain because his values weren't laid out. And I got to wonder, if we look at our lives right now, you look at your life, wherever you're at, five years from now, the decisions you're making today, do you like the results of your life? Now, for some of you that are a little bit older, this will be easier to sink your teeth into. Ten years from now, the decisions you're making today, the decisions you made this weekend, Come on, the food you're eating on the daily. I'm preaching to myself right now. Do you like where it takes you? You look out 30 years from now and think about the decisions you're making today. Do you like where it takes you? You see, Esau's story is a painful reminder of acting on impulses and not on wisdom. Dave Ramsey says, if you don't tell your money where to go, you'll wonder where it went. And I'm telling you, that applies to just your life. If you don't tell your life where to go, man, you're gonna look back and wonder where it went. All over a bowl of stew. That quick. Church, take this as a painful warning. Let's learn from his hindsight right now, from Esau's hindsight, what desperation and going to the wrong things for desperation can do. Let's learn this lesson of undervaluing the things that God has given you, the gifts that he's put in your life, the people he's put in your life. Let's learn this lesson today. And let's learn this lesson of this short-term satisfaction with long-term painful results. Ultimately, you and I, as followers of God and followers of Jesus, need to live our lives laying them down to follow Jesus. Galatians 2.20 says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Caitlin shared about stewardship last week. Ultimately, you and I are stewards of these lives that God has given us. You are a steward, a steward of the giftings. You're a steward of the family that you have. How are you stewarding your life? Let's learn the lesson from Esau's story. It is painful. It's painful. But learn from, learn from these truths in his life today. And maybe you're here today. And you're saying, man, I've blown it in my life as I look at it right now. My goal was not to condemn anybody, absolutely to convict us, but not to push anybody down because every single one of us have some Esau in our lives. Every single one of us have missed it. We've missed the mark. And here's the awesome thing. Thank God for Jesus and his grace. Thank God for the goodness of God through Jesus Christ. 
I'm closing with this verse out of Romans 8, 38 through 39. It says, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you thankful for God's goodness today? You might have blown it, but you know what? Thank God for Jesus, that he died on the cross for our sin, for our shame, for our guilt, for every single mistake we could have made because God knew nothing we could ever do would be good enough. So he sent Jesus, the perfect sacrifice, to die on our behalf, but he didn't stay in the grave. He conquered death, hell, and the grave, and here's what's awesome. He did it for you. He did it for you. You're not a disappointment to God. You're not letting God down. You weren't holding him up in the first place. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We'll be back next week with more bonus content. Feel free to reach out to us with any questions you might have by emailing us at citywomen at citychurchok.com or click the link in our show notes. Follow along on Facebook and Instagram at citywomenok.